Have you ever been in a dark place physically, a pit? Maybe uh, it's the end of the day and you figured, you know, I got enough stamina to summit that last 14er. As it turns out, you didn't. Sun is setting and you're high up on a mountain. Not good. Maybe you're out on a boat and a squall comes up and you can't outrun it. Do you remember that feeling of being terrified, scared, alone? Maybe that's not you. Maybe you're not the REI or Bass Pro Shops kind of guy or gal. You find yourself in a place where you're emotionally in a pit. There's that moment of betrayal. And you thought that person was incapable of such a thing. You're left feeling like your whole life just got ripped to shreds and it'll never get put back together. You know now why they call it heartbreak, because in your chest you actually feel pain, as if your heart were breaking in two. Maybe you've not been in either of those pits, but you've been in one spiritually. Church and life group have lost their pool. You can't seem to find the energy or the willpower to pray or to open the scriptures. At best, you're going through the motions if you're showing up to church or being around Christians at all. Deep down, you're asking God, are you really there? For me, uh, I got into a pretty dark, pretty deep pit when someone uh, very close to me betrayed me in a really evil way. Uh, We don't have time to rehash the specifics, but I can tell you for about a year and a half, I felt emotionally and spiritually dead. I felt like the darkness was so deep, the pain was so great that there was no way I'd ever get out of it. I used to walk around, just for context, this is when I'm in seminary, by the way, interesting place to be in the pit. I used to walk around and hope that someone would start a fight with me, not so that I could beat them up, but so that I could feel something. I felt so emotionally and spiritually dead, I couldn't feel. The gangster rap that I grew up on in the trailer park uh, became gospel to me. I began to doubt God's goodness and even his existence because the pain was just too great. I couldn't make heads or tails of the pain. See, sometimes we find ourselves in these pits because of evil done to us. But sometimes we find ourselves in one of those dark pits because of our own doing. We made a little fudge here. We compromised there. And now here we are in this pit that we can't get out of. Sometimes, though, it's a little bit of both. A little sin here, a little compromise here, a little sin there, a little compromise there. And there's relational discord. It's happening in our families, our marriages, our friendships. Just a little sin here, a little sin there. And stuff starts to take root. Well, we'll find... The story of Joseph doesn't just involve the pit that he's thrown into. There's some pits along the way for the brothers as well. Turn with me to page 31 in your blue Bibles, Genesis chapter 37. The sermon's going to be the pits, y'all. 
Dad jokes. Dad jokes. Now, verse 12. His brothers went to pasture their father's flocks near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And Joseph said to him, Here I am. So his father said, Go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock. Bring me back word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. So Joseph is sent by his father to check on the status of their livelihood, their flocks, as well as the brothers. Uh, If you'll remember from last week, verse 2, Joseph was doing that very thing, and he brought his father a bad report. His brothers were not handling the family business very well. So he comes back, tells his brothers, as you can imagine, they don't think that's really kind of him. But here's what we know of Joseph. He's trustworthy. And when his dad asks him to go check, he goes. He says, here I am, thinking of Isaiah there. Verse 15, and a man found him wandering in the fields. And the man asked him, what are you seeking? Well, I'm looking for my brothers. Please tell me, where are they pasturing the flock? And the man said, well, they have gone away, for I heard them say, let us go down to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers, and he found them there. Again, when his dad asked him to go, he goes. He's pretty sure it's not going to be a very warm welcome, given that the whole you know, coat thing, the dream thing, they don't particularly love their brother at this point. But he goes anyway. You can see his character. He loves his dad. I would submit that he loves his brothers as well. He's not this pompous uh, ninny muggins. He doesn't give up, right? Like he, he could have just gone to Shechem, like his dad asked him, come back and said, Well, dad, the brothers aren't where they were supposed to be. Sorry. Now, what he does is he journeys another four or five days, knowing that it's not going to be a warm welcome. And he finds them there at Dothan. He doesn't give up. He doesn't give a false report just to save his own skin. We see his character. Verse 18. Now they saw him from afar. And before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. Whoa. They said, here comes this dreamer. Let us kill him now and throw him into one of these pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of these dreams. So murder is their plan. Here comes this dreamer. This is an affront to their way of life. It's an affront to their inheritance and their picking order, or sorry, pecking order in the inheritance. And they've got to a place where they're going to commit fratricide. So let's think about that for just a moment. How do you get to a place where you're willing to murder your little brother? It's deeper than just being mad because they took your PlayStation controller or something, right? Like they literally have murder in their hearts for their brother. Then they're going to cover it up by lying to their dad, which reveals the character and the kind of place of their heart at the time. Back then, it was a really bad idea to lie to your dad, and it still is, by the way. But it reveals where they are. They're not only going to murder their brother, but then they're going to say that a wild animal got him, 
And they've created this huge, elaborate scheme to get rid of their brother. Why? Because the Lord is setting him up, right? We can see that they are in a pit of their own. Somehow these brothers have arrived and they've found themselves in just as dark of a pit as we'll see Joseph finds himself in. Verse 21, but when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands saying, let us not take his life. Shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to their father. So it's an interesting turn of events. Uh, Reuben is an adulterer, uh, an incestuous one, by the way, pretty messed up. And yet he somehow maybe receives a little bit of a, a check, right? Maybe it's because he's experienced remorse for his previous sin. Maybe there's a little bit of repentance. For sure he's felt the relational dissonance with his father because of his incest. But he's going to come back later and he's going to rescue his little brother. And we don't know 100% why he does this, but we do know that him standing up, saying something, changes the brother's plans. So, verse 23, when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. Now, this pit was empty, and it had no water in it. On the screen, there's going to be a picture of a pit. A pit. Let's think about this for a second. What does this feel like? How is Joseph feeling at this moment? Probably wasn't a soft landing. There was no water. He's thrown in here by his own flesh and blood. Then he starts to see them one by one walk away. So darkness, loneliness, the sting of betrayal starts to set in. Not a good place to be. This sermon uh, isn't a, I want you to feel pity for me, uh, but I've been here. I've been in a really deep, dark pit. The darkness, the loneliness, the, the question of how could they even... Th- think of doing this to me. It was so enveloping that I didn't think I'd ever get out of it. The question from God, why did they do this, turned into God, why'd you let them do this? Then to God, are you there? Do you hear me? Do you see me? Do you know me? Because all these other seminarians are walking around saying, God is good, God is great. Writing 30-page papers on your goodness, but I don't feel it. I don't see it. I don't sense it. Verse 25. Then they sat down to eat. What? Just break out some sandwiches? Like you just threw your brother into a pit? You're going to leave him for dead and, hey, boys, who's got the sandwiches? 
I mean, it's heinous. It's pure evil, right? And looking up, in the midst of their sandwiches, sandwich, I love saying that, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh, and on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah speaks up, and he says to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our very own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. So I want to submit this morning that the brothers find themselves in maybe a deeper, darker pit than Joseph is. Sitting down for a casual meal, they've come up with this elaborate plan to kill their own brother, then lie to their father about it. But then one of the brothers speaks up. Instead of dying here of starvation, they come up with a plan to sell him into slavery. Now, this may sound benevolent on the part of the brothers, right? But let's be clear, they're selling him into slavery. So he's not going to die at the bottom of this thing, but he's being sold into slavery. Not a good place. I want to spend some time this morning thinking through how they got there. How do they get to such a bad emotional and spiritual place? Well, luckily, all we need is a little fight in Texas Aggie agricultural lesson to see how this works. Okay? Uh, here's how food works. There's these things called seeds, and when they go into the ground, there's this really elaborate process because of all the wonderful microbial things that happen in the soil, but germination happens. Then, once germination happens, the seed has enough inherent energy to send down a root. Now, the root then is responsible for getting all of its nutrients from the soil. Remember all the wonderful microbes? Given enough of that, it will then shoot something up, interestingly enough called a shoot, through the ground, and that seed bursts through the ground like this, and it opens up. And that's the cotyledon stage, for those of you that really want to know. That's the old seed. That's why it's the same. Anyway, I'm getting beside myself here. Then, given enough time and the right ingredients, that plant will produce fruit. That's how it happens. In Hebrews, the author warns of allowing a bitter root to grow up. Because there's this process. You don't just get to this place out of nowhere, ex nihilo. There is a process. Some plants can get from seed to fruit stage in 45 days. If it's an apple, it's going to take years and years and years. But it's the same process. So Hebrews says, watch out, be careful. Don't let the bitter root grow up in our lives because it will cause trouble and will defile many. Back in verse 11, we read that his brothers were jealous or envious of him. This is where it starts, y'all. They probably didn't have their hearts set on murder then. In fact, I would say that it's, it's, it's impossible that that was the case. But it started with this little bitty seed of envy. 
That gave birth to hatred and eventually to would-be fratricide. Proverbs 14 says that envy rots the bones. James tells us that where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every single evil practice. Envy is basically this angry resistance to what God is doing in someone else's life. Sure, the brothers are upset about the coat and what their dad did with Joseph, but ultimately when it's all boiled down, they're angry with God for what he's doing in Joseph's life because they want that for themselves. You ever been there? You ever been jealous? You ever been envious of someone? All right, we're going to keep going with the ag thing. All right, so once that seed, once that bit of envy took root, it naturally followed that without Roundup or a sharp garden implement, a shoot was going to come up. That shoot is called hatred. So first we have envy, first we have jealousy, and eventually hatred comes to the surface. Now, the thing about shoots in our lives is we don't always see them very quickly. I believe it's very possible to be envious and carry jealousy in your heart for quite a long time, and no one will ever see it because it's still subterranean. But eventually, given enough time, that will come out. It will come out as hatred. It does so in the brother's story. It's only a matter of time before it gives birth to the fruit, which in our case goes from envy to murder. So the pattern is the same for us. We don't just arrive in a dark place physically, emotionally, or spiritually. There's this journey involved. Sometimes we find ourselves in these places because of our own doing. We twist something. We cover something up. We make a concession, a series of compromises that lead to a really big deal. And our life is on the skids. Sometimes, though, we end up in these pits because someone else made the compromises. Someone else said, no, I'm going to keep looking at that web browser. No, I'm going to keep doing this. I'm going to go a little bit further here. Just one more beer. Just, right? And now we are suffering. We're in a pit of despair because of their sin. Something that started as a little bitty compromise. But like I said at the beginning, sometimes it's just a little bit of sin here, a little bit of sin on their side. And we've got this relational discord in our lives. Uh, I tell my girls pretty frequently, girls, the worst thing you could ever do in my house is to lie. The worst thing you could ever do is lie. If you break a window, we can replace that. But even a little bitty lie can, earn, can turn into a little bit bigger lie, which then turns into a little bit bigger lie, which then turns into a lot bigger lie which then can turn into a pattern where you can't even tell the truth. You're constantly covering for your lies. My pit started uh, about 22 years ago. Someone that I loved very dearly, I didn't know them at the time, uh, but they, they covered something up when they were 15. Just a little 
I'm just going to put a little dirt on it. I'm a little too ashamed of that. Well, over time, that became a, a pattern. My hope is that if this person would have been able to see the next, you know, 10, 15 years on a movie screen of what it was going to mean, the fact that that little bitty compromise, that little lie, that covering up, that it would result in mass carnage for tons of people. My hope is that they would then turn around and stop. This morning, it doesn't really matter which pitch you're in. It could be the one that you made for yourself. It could be one that someone made for you. The question for us is, what are we going to do with it? How will we respond when this is our viewpoint? Suffering at the hands of others' evil and sin can either produce fruit, good fruit, or it can lead to further darkness, isolation, and eventually crippling bitterness. You guys seen that pattern? Someone gets hurt. Instead of getting help, instead of dealing with it, it turns them more isolated, more broken, more bitter. We see with Joseph that he looks up. He asks God to intervene. One of my friends uh, said once, he goes, you know, you can still pick apples in the dark, Britt. Even in a really dark place, you can still find fruit. He was right. There's also suffering that comes, right, from our own actions. His brothers were there. They found themselves in a pit of selfishness and sin that I'm certain they never imagined they'd be capable of. Their sin of envy led to hatred and eventually would-be fratricide. That could either produce more of the same, so more darkness, further isolation, and crippling bitterness in their lives, or they could turn around, repent, be forgiven, receive healing, and go on a different path. As we'll see in the next couple chapters, Judah decided to take a different path. So we track his story, we see him change, we see his heart soften through the experience of his own sin and its exposure. Rather than see his brother Benjamin imprisoned and his father's heart broken a second time, he offers up his own life. So the experience of his own sin and the fruit of it transformed Judah. He learned from it. And through the work of God, he became a different person. Praise the Lord. And here's what I'd say to us this morning. If you find yourself in a pit that you made for yourself, it's never too late to do the right thing. You can turn around today. You can face the pain. You can face the brokenness. You can face the sin. You can be forgiven and healed by God. It's never too late to turn around. The question for us, again, whether our pit is of our own making or someone else's, what are we going to do with it? The pattern works the same for all sin. James 1 says this way, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Genesis 37, the brothers 
Jealousy gives birth to hatred, which gives birth to what? Death, murder. That was their plan. I don't know what stage you're in. I don't know if it's a seed. I don't know if there's a root. I don't know if we can see it just yet, if it's above ground or if it's at full fruit. But it's time to get the hoe out. It's time to get the hoe out. We see here that bitterness is the main problem. And I would say here at Grace, we have that same problem because we're human. We see other people, jealousy kind of entices us, envy entices us, and if we don't do something about it, it will give birth to hatred and it will grow into fruit. So this morning, I would encourage us to go to a prayer team and ask God to root it out. Come to the table and ask the Holy Spirit to root it out and produce good soil in your heart. Good soil that can hear and respond to the gospel. If you find yourself in a pit, there's a few ways to get out. Number one, don't give up. Don't hang your head. Don't resign to it. You've got to look up. Look up and get help from the outside. Because if you're really here, you know you can't do it on your own. It's not the Batman Begins or whatever when he does that thing. That's not real. You can't get out of that pit. Number two, keep talking to God. Don't break the lines of communication with him. Even when you don't want to say anything to him, just open your mouth, open your heart. Number three, somehow, some way, fight for your faith. Trust in the Lord's plan. Many are the plans in a man's heart, but the Lord's purposes prevail. What Joseph's brothers meant for evil, one, they didn't go through with the fratricide. Then Reuben speaks up. Always a good thing to speak up in the presence of evil, y'all. Changes a little bit. Then Judah speaks up, and he gets sold into slavery to where? To Egypt. So what the brothers meant for evil, God, as we're going to see in the next weeks, turns around for the good of not just his family, but an entire nation. Amen? Don't give up, look up. Keep talking to God. Somehow, some way, keep fighting for your faith. I want to close this morning with a journal entry from June 11th. 2007. This is in the midst of my pit. Haven't written in over a month. In fact, I haven't really even read my Bible in a month or more. Remember this is seminary. Just a little context for you. I don't see what the point is right now. I'm doubting everything possible right now about Christianity, the Bible, and even God sometimes. Maybe it's just so that I'll really understand people that go through tremendously hard times, but I'm not even sure that God will preserve my life to get me to that point. I just finished watching Freedom Riders for the second night in a row. My heart resonates with that story. 
especially now that I understand how life can be so tough that you don't have respect for human life anymore, and killing someone seems to be the right thing to do. I understand even more now how kids from the projects and the trailer parks want to fight and destroy and deal drugs and live for the moment by acquiring money however they can. Life really isn't worth living to those kids except for the here and now. Sure, I had it much better than most of those kids in the trailer park, but life was markedly different for us compared to everyone else at our school. Have I so quickly forgotten the thrill of actually having a polo shirt to wear? Have I forgotten that it makes sense for kids to pursue money and power and do whatever it takes to get it? Have I forgotten how bad it hurts to not have a father and that violence naturally erupts from such a chasm? Sometimes all I want to do is die. Sometimes all I want to do is leave Texas and start over. Most times now, I don't envision myself in ministry any longer. I understand so many things now that I never did before. How one could become primal if their family was threatened. Why kids that come from the projects lash out and are violent. The Mark Winters is really doing the best that he can. Why people give up on God because they feel he has given up on this world. Why people hate, while people hate Christians, especially Bible Belt ones. I wish I could take the last year of life back and never know these feelings in this new reality. Life was much easier then. Life was much easier then. Does writing all of this even help? Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. One thing is for sure. I'm not going down in history as a godly man. This journal is proof of that. Brainerd, Piper, Edwards, Jones, etc., All these guys would be busting out in hymns right now, but not me. I don't even know how to get to that place. It seems so foreign now. I was in a pretty dark spot. Uh, I didn't believe that I'd ever get out of it. Um, I didn't think I'd physically live uh, much longer than when I wrote this. But guess what? I got out. (laughs) The Lord got me out of the pit. Can I just testify that I've been in that place? I've been in a spot so deep and so dark that I couldn't hear the Lord. But he rescued me. He rescued me. He healed me. He changed me. I kept looking up, somehow, some way. I kept really godly friends around me that wouldn't let me leave. I kept his word before me sometimes, like I read earlier. It was a month of not reading it, but I had apparently treasured it in my heart. So the Holy Spirit kept popping scriptures up, even when I didn't want him to. They just kept appearing. I repented of my side of the story. Kept the hoe out. Because every single day it seemed that bitterness and unforgiveness was popping up in my heart. And my counselor, my best friends, the Word of God, they all kept telling me to root it out. Don't let it take root. Cut this thing out. It will destroy you. It will destroy many lives if you let it take root 
if it gets to fruit stage, it's not gonna go well. I kept praying, God, you have to take this. You have to fix this. I also submitted to pastoral authority and pursued reconciliation, and it was all so good. Ooh, and I didn't like doing it. And my friends kept saying, just do it. And I was like, I don't want to. They're like, just do it. And I was like, I don't want to. Fine, I'll do it. Only because you're telling me to. There was a point at which one of my friends over a meal said, Britt, it seems pretty clear to me that you don't trust God anymore. You are very perceptive, sir. (laughs) And he said, do you trust me? Yes, implicitly. Well, then trust my trusting of God. Let me trust God on your behalf. Let me carry you as your brother. And he said, whatever it takes, just keep the lines of communication open. If all you can do is cuss and complain, it's still communication. Keep the lines of communication open, Britt. It's a very wise man. He healed me. I didn't think he would do it. I didn't even think he could do it, but he healed me, and I'm free. Praise God. So whatever pit you find yourselves in this morning, maybe you created it for yourself, maybe someone else created it for you, you're not stuck there. Turn around, look up, ask for help. That's what the gospel is, y'all. We were stuck here because of our sin, and he sent a savior, he sent a rescuer, Jesus Christ. So this morning as we come to the table, Remember that he can rescue you. As you go to get prayer, ask godly saints to pray over you that the Lord would root out those things in your heart. Ask the Lord for good soil. He can and he will change you. Amen. Father, you are good. Lord, what a joy it is to be here in 2019 with this community centered around your word, your spirit, sacrament that reminds us of what you did on our behalf. Lord, you didn't leave me there. You were there the whole time, in fact. I just couldn't see it. And Lord, for all of us that may be in a similar spot, Speak tenderly to our hearts. Lord, we want our hearts to be good soil because we know that with you is where life is. Lord, where else are we supposed to go? You have the words of eternal life. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Lord, that is where we long to be as your people. Lord, help us. Lord, rescue us. Lord, change us. We need you. We need you, we need you, amen.